Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another evening, another Tuesday evening, reflecting into the great uh, Christian thinkers, ancient Christian thinkers of the Christian Catholic Church. We are uh, wrapping up the Golden Age of Doctrine tonight, the 4th century, which has us uh, looking at the great St. Ambrose of Milan. And as I do each and every Tuesday, I have uh, John O'Hara with me. So, John, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you again, Joe. So, John, St. Ambrose of Milan, our last figure in this 4th century. From one week to the next, what we try to do as we study uh, the church fathers is we try to highlight what they were known for, uh, because each father had something I think really unique to contribute. If it's if it's not their holiness alone, because for most of the figures we have talked about, they're all saints. Huh? Um, there is some particular aspect of what they talked about or what they did that has us talking about them today. Yeah, uh, we have been studying the fathers of the church and some of the quite well known people, but there was thousands maybe a million fathers of the church, unknown people mm-hmm. who were good Christians during That's these right. years, gave an example to people around them. We'll never know them, but they were also part of the group that got our church yeah. a- to amen. where it is. A- yeah. And you, as you talk about that, John, it's really important to know that because there are a lot of people who, who go unnoticed, who yeah. are behind closed doors, uh, living out heroic charity and heroic virtue. And it is important to be mindful of those. I know earlier when we were talking about some of the martyrs, there were a great number of folks who were, who were you know, leaping for the chance to die for Christ, and then others who uh, God called them to, to do other things in heroic charity, just True. living out um, virtue each and every day you know, to, to their late days of life. So, yeah, important to be, to be mindful of that as we talk about uh, these church fathers. Okay. St. Ambrose of Milan, Milan in Italy, uh, he was, he, when he died, he was either 57 years old or 64 years old, somewhere in between then. We know that he died December the 7th of 397. His birth is a bit uncertain. He was born into fairly wealthy parents. His father was a politician and died early. Again, we had another saintly mother who took him from uh, from France, where he was born, back into Rome, and there he was educated. He also had a sister who I believe is canonized, named St. Marcelina, mm-hmm. and she was a virgin and a, 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 a kind of a nun. Mm-hmm. He also had a younger brother who was quite a good Catholic and very helpful to him. He got a good education, and guess what his college major was? Rhetoric. Rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and um, and uh, he went, uh, also some law, and he went to become a politician in, now, Milan is in northern Italy, and he was a politician in that area. And then the bishop of Milan died. His name was Auxentius. Now, Auxentius, uh, he died in 374. And uh, Auxentius was an Arian. We've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. Arians believe that Christ was not really divine. We had God the Father, but Christ was not really divine. God the Father had a special liking for him. So Auxentius dies... And uh, who's going to be the new bishop? And 
there was almost a kind of a, a division between Arians and Catholics, and they met in the cathedral to try to work out their issues. And at this point, Ambrose got up and he gave a speech suggesting how they could work these difference out, differences out and let's be reasonable about this. And someone shouted out, r- rumor has it it was a child, and we don't know that, Ambrose for bishop. Mm-hmm. And this crowd, I mean, this just swelled. Mm-hmm. And Ambrose kind of realized from the podium that they were serious about this. Mm-hmm. And he kind of went off and hid for, I don't know how long, but they found him and said, you do it. Come on, mm-hmm. become our bishop. At this point, he was not baptized. He was a catechumen. Mm-hmm. He was going to become baptized. And then, in short order, he became baptized and uh, communion and uh, was ordained and consecrated a bishop. So within about two weeks, this is a quick RCIA program, believe me. (laughs) And he goes from being a layman uh, to being a bishop. Now, let me just get off track a little bit. Uh, I'm reminded of the great movie Beckett, in which uh, King Henry's uh, number one assistant, Thomas Beckett, Beckett, um, he, he was just a, a layman and yeah. kind of played around with Henry in some untoward activities when they were <laughs> off duty. <laughs> and, uh, but Henry, needed, he, he, did, he didn't trust his clergymen because they weren't reliable. He, he couldn't tax them and they, he couldn't take them to court. So he asked Thomas Akempis if he would become the new bishop of Can- Archbishop of Canterbury. And Thomas said, well, I'm not, go, go ahead and do it. Thomas did it. And almost in no time, he shed his worldly ways took on mm-hmm. real true humility, and lived the life of a humble and rather powerful Archbishop of England. Yeah. Same with Ambrose. I mean, Ambrose was not the at all the playboy, but he took on almost immediately the humility and saintliness of a bishop. Yeah. And he, while he was a fairly well-to-do guy, he gave it all to the poor or um, else to the church. And... Uh, He is well-known, not so much for his dogmatic works, but for being an excellent pastor. His door was open to his flock, and um, he uh, just really kind of went into being a bishop. Mm -hmm. Yes, St. Augustine once noted that uh, his lines were long to see him, and if he had any time to spare, he always went to uh, the prayerful reading of Scripture. And and on that note, John... I thought it would um, behoove us to, to draw back a little bit and appreciate some of the education of Ambrose and what it meant for him in his shepherding the church, because he studied under the likes of, do these names sound familiar, Origen, St. Basil, where, but the School of Alexandria. Now, again, his, historically speaking, you had two schools, the School of Antioch, which focused in on the historical context of the biblical text, and then you had the School of Alexandria, which focused on more the spiritual sense. And so schooled under the likes of Origen and St. Basil, he developed a love for sacred scripture and a deep sense of the relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament. Again, he studied under this great figure, Origen. We've talked about typology before, right? That principle that has us reading sacred scripture the Old Testament in light of the New, the New in light of the Old. This is what Ambrose was steeped in. And so out from that, what you had was a deep love for sacred scripture. He introduces to the West, John, I think something very important, and I want to highlight the practice of Lexio Divina. Huh? What is Lexio Divina? It is simply, it's a Latin term that means divine reading. It is a prayerful 
reading and listening of sacred scripture. There's actually stages. And if you wanted to practice Lexio Divita, if you wanted to read the, the biblical text in light of this prayerful reading and listening, this is what you would do. There were stages. The first stage was the actual reading of a text. John, it was not long. It was typically short, usually the gospel for the upcoming mass. And so you would read the word of God slowly and reflectively so that it would sink into you. The second stage is meditation, where you are more reflective, where we are called to think about the text we have chosen and really ruminate upon it so that we take from it what God wants to give us. Usually what happens in this second stage, John, when you are prayerfully reading the text is you ask God to have a word or verse jump out to you and to kind of meet you where you're at so as to really offer something tangible for you to reflect upon. The third stage of Lexio Divita is what we call oratio, or the response, where we leave our thinking aside and simply let our hearts speak to God. This response is inspired by our reflection on the Word of God. This was very important to Ambrose, to simply let our hearts speak to God. And the final stage of Lexio Divina is what we call contemplatio, where we literally rest in God, where we let go not only of our own ideas, plans, and meditations, but also of all of our words and thoughts, all of the activity in our mind. We simply rest in the Word of God. We listen to Him at the deepest level of our being, and we then allow God to speak to us. You know, this contemplation, as St. John Vianney once said, is uh, us looking at God and God looking back at us. I hope our listeners took almost notes of that show. That is an excellent way to pray every day, going through those steps. Uh, That's a fabulous way to pray. And, And here's the thing, John. When you pray the inspired Word of God, when you call upon the Holy Spirit, and, and yes, read it to get to know the story, but also pray it so that it inspires you, something changes within you. There's a transformation, and this was what uh, St. Ambrose was so keen upon. Yes, he took this prayerful reading, prayerful listening to God through the biblical text, and he would go out and he would preach, and he would catechize, and he would teach all those who were before him, and he would move them deeply. Now, this, by the way, is uh, what St. Augustine really uh, attributed to his conversion. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, it was Ambrose's holiness. It was uh, his governance. He really highlighted uh, the way in which, as an authority in the state and ultimately then in the church, uh, had a way of governing, but also this this deep Christocentric, Christ-centered spirituality. Um, he, in fact, on one occasion, he talks about this in his great book, Confessions. If you've never read St. Augustine's Confessions, I believe, John, I read this somewhere, St. Augustine's Confessions, and this is striking, is the second most read book in history. Wow. St. Augustine's Confessions. What is it? Well, it's St. Augustine confessing about... <laughs> his life of debauchery up to the age of 33, where he met this man named Ambrose, right? And it was his holiness, it was his deep spirituality, his spiritual sense, his way of communicating sacred scripture. And Augustine notes that he had a particular love of the Old Testament. So we would see Ambrose preach on the Old Testament a great deal. 
He loved to preach uh, on Job, right? So many lessons to be learned from Job. Incidentally, if I may, John, I got a question, and Job comes up quite a bit about a week ago. And someone came to me and said, hey, you know, Job, we have, if, or Joe, if we only had the patience of Job, J-O-B, Job. And I said, yeah, okay, I get that. But if we see Job only in the context of patience, I think we miss the story of Job. Why? We have talked a great deal on this radio program, John, about all these guys studying rhetoric, okay? Well, Job did too. He was an oratician. He was an eloquent speaker, right? He would ask questions. He would inquire. And this is what you see in the story of Job. He's constantly asking questions to get underneath the story of Job. And this is the kind of thing Ambrose would do to get underneath the story of Job. Isn't just to see him as a man of, of uh, patience and a man of suffering. It's to see that he was first an oratician. Yes, he was beloved by God, but at the end of the story of Job, I think we have a key that unlocks a deeper mystery. Because if he's an oratician, if he's constantly asking questions and he never gets his questions answered and yet he's satisfied, what's going on? Job's questions were never answered and yet, John, he's satisfied. Why? Because he did get one answer and that answer is capital A. And that is God, the presence of God. He beheld the presence of God, John, and it was only then that he, sat, he was satisfied. So we can ask questions, and they are good, and they are necessary. And certainly, we do this on this radio program. But let us not forget what the story of Job is really about, and that's beholding the presence of God and what that does to us. This is the kind of thing that Ambrose would deliver. We can talk about him in this sense, but let's go deeper. Why would an Ambrose gain insights like this, John? Because he prayerfully read the text. That is a very good point. Uh, St. Augustine was baptized on Easter Sunday. I believe it was in 387, maybe 386, one of those two. And the power of your, the example of your life gets across to me in the St. Augustine story. Just to get back to a little bit of history. Sure, um, sure. There were two emperor capitals in Rome at this time. One was near Milan, actually in Ravenna. Another one was in Constantinople. And Gratian was a, uh, an emperor in the Ambrose, uh, in the west, western side. And the barbarians were having some success. They were the ISIS of the day. Yes. And um, <laughs> Rome was collapsing. And they thought it might be this Christianity business was weakening the Roman Empire. And Gratian was going to build in altar to the goddess victory in Rome and Ambrose successfully got that squelched just by the power of his preaching and his persuasiveness and he wasn't afraid to go to the emperors and talk to them and uh, then later on Gratian was murdered and uh, he was uh, succeeded by his brother who was only about 12 years old mm-hmm. so the mother took over the mother was an Arian Justina was her name and she was going to have an Arian church put in Milan. And Ambrose said, no, you're not. And there were demonstrations and the church, an Arian church was never built. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just like to give a, a little bit, a, a little, some of his, uh, this is a quote from Ambrose. He was uh, quite upset over all of the heresies. He says, there are not enough hours in the day for me to recite even the names of all the various sects of heretics. 
But what is contrary to all of them is the general belief that Christ is the Son of God, eternally from the Father and born of the Virgin Mary. That is excellent doctrine. Mm -hmm. And remember, when you mentioned all these guys he read, that was OJT. He learned that on the job. Yeah. He wasn't, wasn't studying this you know, too much beforehand. That's I right. Mean, yeah. As we say, you know, he was studying on the job. His background. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, he oh. studied rhetoric. He studied law. What essentially he studied was the ability to dialogue, the ability to, to debate. Quite frankly, John, I think to some degree something that's been lost today. Um, I know there are some Christian and Catholic universities out there that are really trying to rekindle these great degrees, uh, of course, of law, yes, but of rhetoric, what it means to be able or to articulate the faith, how to use reason, how to apply logic. Um, this is what he excelled at. It's no wonder that uh, a young man, however old he was, <laughs> stood up and said, Ambrose for bishop. And that wasn't actually uncommon, by the way, John. Yeah. Uh, you know, Yes, men were elected bishops by their presence, by the authority of their presence. That, that uh, is worth noting because I think the Spirit certainly works through that. As you were talking, John, uh, one of the things that strikes me, I talked earlier about Augustine being moved by Ambrose governance. He really is the one, the church father, who first establishes this whole idea of give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Of course, he's quoting the gospel, but he's taking that gospel passage and he's applying it to everyday life uh, there in Italy. Uh, so very important. Yeah, the, an, excel, an excellent example of that was the Empress Justina. Another one was the Emperor Theodosius. He was the on the eastern side, of the Constantinople side of the emperor of the empire. And there was... a uh, some rioting disturbances going on in Thessalonica, and a riot took place there. And the governor of Thessalonica was killed. Mm -hmm. And Theodosius was just furious, and he sent in his army, and I think there were 7,000 people killed in three or four hours. And this was, you know, just all over the world, almost yeah. instantly. And it was quite a to-do. And Ambrose told him, you have to make public penance of this. You know, and he wrote him a very moving letter, and he was quite, he liked Theodosius. He thought he was a competent emperor, but this just can't stand. Mm -hmm. And Theodosius did make a public penance. Yeah. And uh, it was amazing. It was quite an example. Here's your emperor making a public penance. And later on, Theodosius said this about Ambrose. I know no one except Ambrose who deserves the name of bishop more. Mm. Mm. That's from the emperor he put down. And then in this... Um, situation, he made this quote, but the emperor is in the church, not over the church, and far from refusing the church's help, a good emperor, a good emperor seeks it. Mm -hmm. There, you know. Amen. Filling yeah. the office of the apostles, right? Yes. I'm inclined right now to go back, for our listening audience, uh, John, to go back to Acts 120, where uh, they need to fill the office of, of the bishop, right? And Peter stands up, and they elect the next apostle. And that word episkopoi in the Greek is where we get the word bishop. And so ultimately what we're talking about here, and we should never forget this, John, that the men that we are talking about, they're all bishops. And ultimately they are in that apostolic line, that apostolic succession, uh, that apostolic tree. Very important to, um, to be mindful of that as we're talking yes. about it. I, there's... 
just a great line from uh, St. Ambrose. He liked to use the phrase, to us, Christ is all. To us, Christ is all. It's that one maxim for, for Ambrose. To us, Christ is all. He says, if you have a wound to heal, he is the doctor. If you are parched by fever, he is the spring. If you are oppressed by injustice, he is justice. If you are in need of help, he is strength. If you fear death, he is life. If you desire heaven, he is the way. If you are in the darkness, he is light. Taste and see how good is the Lord. Blessed is the man who hopes in him. To us, Christ is all. One of his uh, pieces was uh, called De Penitentius, about penance. Mm. And uh, that one of the numerous heresies around was the Novatianists, and they claimed that uh, you could forgive only a minor sin, but nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And Ambrose said, no. See, there's that careful reading of the Bible. Mm. That's Who right. sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Who sins you shall retain. No, he said, and furthermore, if a man or uh, someone commits a serious sin and does it again, you can forgive it again and again. Yeah. That's what he, yeah. And that's uh, the teaching today. Yeah, that's a very important uh, point there, too. I mean, he really is drawing from sacred scripture. That passage you talk about is, is John 20, verses 21 to 23, I believe, where he's given the authority um, to the apostles, to the bishops. And, you know, how about, <laughs> John, how about Theodosius? I, you know, he gives this public confession, as you're talking about confession, and it, it strikes me. I mean, here you have a bishop challenging an emperor. What does that look like today? What did that look like 10 years ago? What does that look like 20 years ago? Oh, what it looks like is when a bishop challenges our commander-in-chief. Imagine if our presidents would openly, publicly confess their sin, what that would do. Wow. As a response to a bishop because of the respect that they had for a bishop. Let us remember here, John, we are in pagan Rome, pagan Italy, okay, uh, we, we are donning those days today. I mean, America in many ways has gone the way of, of the pagan way. We have to be mindful of, of the significance of what is going on here. I mean, I think it was just a few days ago where they had this pagan mass, this satanic mass in Oklahoma City. Oh. You know, I mean, not a lot's changed in 1,700 years. I'm afraid not. Yeah, I think, I think a politician would have more power if they would do something like that, saying, yeah. you know, there, there's something really, I am in charge of the secular aspects here, but there is a power over me. That's right. It's interesting because uh, at the end of his days, uh, that's what George Bush did. You know, George Bush, I remember he was in an interview with Raymond Arroyo on EWTN, and uh, he was really probing his faith. That was Raymond Arroyo was probing Bush's faith. He talked about his deep respect for then uh, Pope Benedict XVI. But he talked about the importance of understanding, you know, what belongs to Caesar belongs to Caesar, what belongs to God belongs to God. And you're right, John, I, I think there would be a deeper respect if, if that was communicated more. And to be quite honest with you, we are drawn to humility. Yes. We are drawn to the person that is meek and humble. And if our leaders, just not presidents, but just in our local circles, maybe senators, congressmen and women, if we saw them as men and women of humility, we'd be more drawn to them. Um, because I think one of the things that has happened today is we see the politicians thirst for power, prestige, and pleasure. And uh, it's no wonder that all of these polls are coming out 
showing that, I think, what, 15, 16% of the United States of America is, is happy with what, what's going on with Congress. Uh, there's a reason why. I mean, if you had more men and women behaving like, like one Theodosius, I think uh, the United States of America would be singing a different tone about their leaders. Yes. We're talking about this, John, because what was happening 1,700 years ago as it relates to the church is not so far removed from what's happening today. Our bishops need to be willing to stand up, and many are, and just not bishops of the Catholic Church, but bishops of some of our Protestant churches, our Methodist leaders, Baptist leaders, that they're stepping forward, stepping up, and really leading the way. Don't forget the quote you began this show with when we began from uh, St. John Paul II. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, freedom, (laughs) yeah, history is not some series of chronological events, but it is an event of freedom. And that defines man. And we need to be, yeah, you're right, John, ever present to that. So uh, very important. I'm looking up at the clock, John. We are out of time. We've wrapped up the golden age of doctrine. Next week, it just so happens we're going to have the opportunity to talk about one St. Jerome, a a great and uh, popular figure, yeah. (laughs) And it just happens to be the feast of St. Jerome. So uh, that's the first time that happened. I'm very much looking forward to that. September 30th. uh, That's right. Let's uh, close in prayer, John. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.